0: the Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Man at the Gate Here you will learn how to apply your Christian ethics in the political arena. This includes our local and federal politics. Come, sit, relax, and enjoy our time together as we discuss the state of our nation and what it looks like to be salt and light in a pagan world.
1: Welcome to another episode of Man at the Gate. I am your host, Carrie Appling, and you are listening to episode five, The Drug War. So um, today is going to be uh, some heavy lifting on, on my part and on your part as far as comprehending. Um, I want to do my best to present this information to you as um, digestibly or digestibly as possible, if that's even a word. So um, I want to also apologize for not getting my episodes out as quick as quickly as I'd like. Um, there's a lot going on, not only in my personal life, but uh, uh, there's just a lot of information that I want to get down and present it to my audience. And I don't want to um, present a product that is not worthy of God and worthy of uh, your time, to be honest with you. Uh, I know podcasting specifically depending on who you're listening to um, you only have so much time and I only have so much time I don't want to waste your time and I don't want you to waste my time so um, today's episode is going to be about a, the drug war but first before we start on that I wanted to read some really some really good news uh, actually from my neck of the woods here in Texas uh, specifically in Dickinson and this is actually reported from ABC 13. Uh, It's just a local news place. And uh, this, the name of the article is Man vs. Potholes. Dickinson resident seeking council's blessing to cover up, quote, monster street craters. Uh, There's a pothole problem in Dickinson, but these aren't your friendly neighborhood potholes. They're monsters, leaving cars damaged. Quote, that's one cracked That one's cracked a couple of rims and punctured a couple of tires, resident Zach Weeks pointed out at one in particular. Weeks got fed up and hatched a plan. Quote, just kind of got tired of looking at it and tired of trying to get the city to do something about it, he said. He and his wife and friend took a a crash course. They watched YouTube tutorials on pothole repair. Then, they spent about $150 for hundreds of pounds of material and got to work. They patched three potholes over the weekend. But there are plenty more that need fixing. Quote, there's a lot of people that said it was illegal, and there was a lot of liability involved. But I couldn't find a single case of anybody being stopped, Weeks said. He intends to go to the next city council meeting to try to... Discuss his volunteer repairs with local leaders. He hopes to leave with their blessing. ABC 13 reached out to the city but haven't heard back. Quote, That's where I hope this is leading: a city backed, or a city backed, or a community-funded effort. Weeks said. In the meantime, he said they'll continue to volunteer to make their neighborhood better, even if it means paving their own way to a smoother drive home. Quote, I really think we can fix all this. End quote week said. So how amazing. Um, I was having a couple discussions with some friends here, and this is news from October the 2nd of this year. So very recent. Um, And uh, we have tons of discussions uh, with our statist and socialist friends who demand that roads just can't be taken care of unless uh, the government is around or unless the government is overseeing it. And if any of you guys live in in reality, you know that the city to repair roads. Um, Once they build them, they basically disappear, and potholes in many parts of the country will stay there until uh, free people like this guy, or you complain enough, the city will show up and repair it. But you'll notice that this man spent $150, $150, and him, a friend, and his wife. got free training on youtube so that's they didn't have to pay for that and then they offered their labor for free and for 150 dollars and for a weekend they they patched three potholes that have gone for months by the city of dickinson and uh, the city has done nothing now keep in mind that's three people at 150 dollars that's what it cost it didn't even cost the city that's what it cost those three people no one paid for that that is sheer charity and voluntary work Keep that in mind in your neck of the woods. When you see a problem, when you see something that's an issue, uh, don't wait for permission to, to fix it. Um, it's funny because people apparently were driving by, telling him it's illegal. He couldn't do it, but 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 the, but it's not illegal. What 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 people think is it should be illegal if you aren't a state agent messing with the road because it's actually a deep ingrained pre, uh, presupposition a very religious presupposition that the, ge- that the government owns the roads. And so they think it's illegal for free citizens to even begin to fix the roads all by themselves without any permission whatsoever. Now, keep in mind, if the city would have done this, it would have cost probably, it would have been four or five uh, union uh, city workers. It would have been two administrators and a supervisor out there. And it probably would have taken two days to patch one or two potholes and probably would have run the taxpayer roughly around $3,000, $4,000 for that kind of work Uh, because of the amount of monkeys it takes to screw a light bulb for the city. Uh, The city will bring in 8 to 20 people to screw in a light bulb uh, when we know that free charitable people who want to see a problem fixed can do so very resourcefully. So um, to Zach Weeks there in Dickinson, thank you. You're literally doing the Lord's work. Uh, that's the kind of stuff us Christians should be looking for, uh, even as a as a uh, testament to our faith in, in God that we want to see the roads fixed. We want to see our communities healed. We want to even at the expense of our own paycheck, do so. So uh, it takes a very a very bold and a very brave man like Zach Weeks to not wait for permission, not ask the state if he can touch its precious roads. Um, but to get out and love his neighbor and, and uh, fix them for them before they hurt somebody. So um, And you'll notice in many cases like this, Zach might get pulled over by a police officer, and the city might even show up while he's fixing the potholes faster than they would show up to fix the potholes themselves um, because that's Zach is taking work away from city union workers. And so uh, I, I doubt he's going to be able to get much further Without the city council probably giving him, you know, telling him, "Oh, we know you mean well, Zach Weeks, but uh, you know, you're taking you're taking away my job, basically," Uh, which is ultimately what a free people should want to do is take away worthless work uh, from people who can't um, offer meaningful skilled labor in a free market. So, kudos to you, Zach Weeks. So, the origin of the drug war that's what we're going to talk about today, the origin of the drug war. Um, There's much to be said. Uh, There is no possible way I could extensively cover the drug war in a one hour show. There's going to probably be multiple episodes in the future, but um, this isn't a seminar and uh, I'm not giving a lecture. I'm just trying to navigate through um, what I know is true. So We know that the drug war was started, I believe, in 1971 by Richard Nixon and his administration. And basically, Richard Nixon started the drug war to combat the black community and hippies um, because they were the symbols of liberalism in America back in the 1970s, which was, you know, uh, basically the conservatives didn't want to do anything about black people um, and their plight in our nation. Um, And so what they did was anyone who pleaded for the cause of the black man or for a minority group who were being mistreated heavily by a white supremacist nation, they were considered liberals. And we have this same dialogue um, uh, today. Anyone who wants to, like I'm doing today, combat the drug war, well, there's only two boxes you can be put in. You can either be put in the left wing or the right wing box. And uh, yeah, you're just not going to fit me in any one of those because uh, I am in the, uh, the biblical box here. I'm going to interpret the drug war according to God's law and according to what we know principally about how God's law works. I, I've talked a little bit about how we take our principles as keys to the kingdom. And once we understand a biblical principle, um, we can apply that principle throughout our entire life even uh, our political theories here. So the origin of the drug war is pure political. It's pure propaganda, and we're going to get into that. But Richard Nixon um, started it to combat those who were a part of the black community and those who were uh, liberals, or those who were hippies. And so it was marketed to the public as trying to stop the rebellious young teenagers and the 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 black people who... Uh, when they smoked this plant, they would lose their minds and they would become highly violent and their minds wouldn't be able to um, uh, process the the substance. Uh, in fact, I even think last year in 2017, you can Google it, uh, like a U.S. senator or state representative or something like that, he actually said that black people's minds can't um, function properly under marijuana and uh, uh, and basically was basically talking about white supremacy and that they're a lesser creature and that they're not as wise and things like that it's pretty bad so um well racism isn't gone in america uh if you think racism is gone um then you live in a fairy tale land so uh racism is alive and well and it's codified in the drug war uh the drug war is a race war it is a, a war against minority communities in order to heavily police their communities and um basically monetize them as citizens when you put them in the jail system. So basically what our country does is it find, and many na- national and socialistic countries do this, they find aspects of cultures that are foreign to their own that they don't like and then they call those things drugs or they, they say you can't wear this because it conceals your face or, or things like that. And then what they do is they criminalize that aspect of the culture. Um, and so imagine finding a cultural practice of a minority group in your nation and then deciding to criminalize that, cult- that cultural activity. Uh, something that comes to mind would be like Argentinians moving to America, and then we decide to criminalize Yerba Mate. Well, Yerba Mate is like a tea that they drink in South America, not just in, Argentine- in Argentina, but in many other South American na- nations. And if you drink this yerba mate, it make you feel a little weird because of the way that it your body processes it. Um, it gives you a little buzz. So it would be like having a beer. And so um, imagine Argentinians coming in and quote-unquote stealing uh, American jobs – and then the government criminalizing a cultural practice of the Argentinians in order to weaponize the government against them. Uh, this has happened uh, since, the, since man created government. He's constantly weaponizing the government against his enemies. And so it means we actively create racist practices that encourage law enforcement to only heavily police those communities that have the, quote, drug they, they have now made illegal. We did the same thing with Germans and alcohol during the alcohol prohibition. Alcohol was once a drug, by the classification of the United States government, that Christians even deemed was sinful to even imbibe. Very few of these legalists exist today because they did not get their conclusions from scripture, but instead from the local conservative social climate that made it politically expedient and more accepting if they went along with the crowd to do evil. So tribalism is the name of the game any time you involve, you're involved in a socialist state or a nationalist state. Tribalism. What's, be, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Um, and so you don't, want to, you don't want to be siding with liberals, do you? You don't want to, you don't want to support the black community because that's what liberals do. Um, and so what they do is they weaponize the government. And uh, the temptation is to go along with the crowd to do evil. And here's what Exodus 23 two says quote, You shall not fall in with the many to do evil, nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit, siding with the many so as to pervert justice. Now, I want you to listen to me on this next part. To bear false witness is not merely to lie about the actions of a person in order to gain a false arrest or a false charge. Bearing false witness also entails creating false crimes that falsely accuse others of something that God otherwise never condemns. You bear false witness when you testify in a truthful manner about a false, idolatrous law that is merely a command of men and not from God. This is textbook legalism that Christians don't mind because they have convinced themselves that their schemes in the political realm are merely neutral. This is how a Christian who supports socialism can accuse you of being a quote spiritual Pharisee about quote spiritual matters as they themselves literally bear false testimony to false lies in order to enslave their fellow man and yet not view themselves as hypocrites to the nth degree. And this is how Exodus 23.2 says justice is perverted. By either creating false testimony to true godly laws, or bearing true testimony to false, ungodly, and humanistic laws. Either one is just as perverted as homosexuality. So to create to create a, a, a idea about reality that isn't true that's that's wicked, and that is the fall of man. That is a result of sin, is man believing that he is the final arbiter of what is good and evil. And we've talked about word of faith politics, speaking that law into existence, and then decreeing it so that it, in your mind, changes reality. In your mind, the the state believes that it's law does not return void, right? The state is always trying to mimic God because if the state won't have God rule over the earth, then the state is going to usurp God in its mind and try to break God's bonds. And uh, Christ laughs at them in derision. Psalms chapter 2. So it had nothing to do with safety. Keep that in mind. It had nothing to do with safety and everything to do with weaponizing the government to harass poor minority communities for the monetary benefits of those who make a paycheck, imprisoning whoever they are allowed to shake down and arrest. So keep that in mind. That's the jailer, that's the police officer, that's the DA. That's the administrator. That's everybody involved with arresting people for fake crimes. And that's job security. Carrie, we're not here to we're not we're not here to make money off of people. Yes, you are. Officer, why do you why do you enforce drug laws? What does he say? You know what he says. I'm just doing my job. Just doing my J-O-B. And guess what? When you stand before the Lord, you will be silent. And that is no excuse. You cannot do what Pontius Pilate does and wash your hands and say, I am innocent of this. No. You can't wash your hands in the basin of I'm just doing my job. And God will... Forgive you of your sins. No, no, it's not how it works. So, since 1971, when the drug war started, we have spent around $1 trillion in taxpayer money to fight this supposed war. Process that. We have spent $1 trillion to prosecute nonviolent crimes keep that in mind now if you've ever heard of the Schaefer Commission well before I get into that um, I want to tell a little story so me and my wife last month were in a local grocery store we're walking around grabbing a couple of stuff we're out on a date night and we get to the checkout and there is a very provocative magazine on the rack and it has a giant marijuana leaf and it is a time special edition magazine. And it basically... I I grabbed it because there is very little the culture is writing about this. And marijuana in particular is exploding in our culture. And my podcast largely today is going to be addressing marijuana in particular. I'm going to be talking about the drug war. But marijuana in particular is one of the largest drugs that the government is using to house people for money so I picked up this magazine I read uh, almost cover to cover the back part basically about the business aspect of uh, marijuana and how it's growing as a business in the federal gov- in the federal uh, or nationally so marijuana in America is a schedule one narcotic uh, it's been a schedule one narcotic for, um, for like since like the 50s or 60s And so, this is from John Mitchell, who was the attorney general at the time in 1971 with Richard Nixon. Here's what John Mitchell said about um, the gateway drug theory. A kid gets into steady use of marijuana, Mitchell said. After a while, he gets less of a charge from it, and this psychological dependency causes him to move on to the harder stuff. We have to get proof that it does create this, this, this dependency. So not we have proof, we have to get proof. I want to stop there. I want you to understand that everything the government does, politicians are not scientists, politicians are not therapists, politicians are not uh, priests, politicians almost know nothing about anything. The only thing a politician ever is, is either an insurance agent or a lawyer. Uh, Most of my representatives, either federally or even at the state level, are either a local insurance company or they're a lawyer. So let's, first of all, do away with this idea that politicians are these scholarly creatures that walk among us in the American culture. They are not. They are some of the dumbest people in the world. They are just extremely charismatic and they know how to market themselves to fallen men who want to vote their conscience without doing any action whatsoever. man would rather vote than go out and fix a pothole. He'd rather vote that someone go out and fix the pothole than go out and fix the pothole himself, like Zach Weeks. So listen to this. John Mitchell, he wanted to get proof to prove his assertion as opposed to, I have proof, and this is what the proof shows. And that's the Attorney General. So first and foremost, going into the Schaefer Report, one of the largest reports that Nixon ever conducted in his administration, specifically towards marijuana, was never so that they could get some, some idea of how marijuana works. It was only and always specifically used to prove what they wanted to already assert and had already asserted. The gateway drug theory took a beating. Quote, the fact should be emphasized that the overwhelming majority of marijuana users do not progress to other drugs. In fact, the commission wrote, if any drug can be said to be a gateway, it is tobacco followed closely by alcohol. That is a direct quote from Nixon's Schaefer Commission in 1971 that Nixon himself had commissioned. So remember that tobacco followed closely by alcohol. And and I'm reading from the Time magazine. This is this is work that people should have been doing a long time ago. This is work Christians should have been doing a long time ago. Because you can't find the truth in many in many of the churches about any of this stuff politically. It is literally ignored. And if you do what I do right here, which is simply say, let's look at the facts, even if it comes from a liberal Time magazine that's directly quoting the Schaefer Report. No one want no. oh, yeah, only liberals read Time magazine. Well, hey, I, I, I'm getting facts here. I'm doing my research, and everything I've read is true. Here's what it goes on to say. The commission concluded that marijuana shouldn't merely be rescheduled, but decriminalized. That's what the commission recommended to Nixon. And here's what, it, here's, uh, here's what the commission wrote. Quote, considering the range of social concerns in contemporary America, marijuana does not, in our considered opinion, rank very high. We would de-emphasize a marijuana, marijuana as a problem. So they're saying they would actually de-emphasize and get away from uh, marijuana being a problem. Well, I don't think that's going to go too well. The original purpose of the commission, this is Time Magazine, the original purpose of the commission to determine the scheduling of marijuana within the Controlled Substance Act was buried and forgotten. Raymond Schaefer never received that appointment to the federal bench. So Schaefer was trying to win the good affections of Richard Nixon And basically, he committed a 1,184 page that debunked nearly everything the federal government had ever claimed about marijuana for the last four years. And so this is like a Nixon buddy, and you would even assume that he would, uh, you know, that he would even fabricate the evidence in this investigation, and he didn't. Came out, told the truth. And Nixon and his administration specifically suppressed it and continued on with their propaganda in order to um, criminalize a certain aspect of, of society. So Schaefer was a former governor of Pennsylvania. Nixon had his, quote, facts, and he wanted to put a report together in order to already prove quote-unquote the facts quote-unquote that he had created as a propaganda piece at the national level and here's another thing most every myth you believe about marijuana in particular is a lie why am i focusing on marijuana because that drug is what has led to almost half of all national jails and prisons to be filled with either traffickers dealers or possessors of the plant Here's some more stuff. Just ride along with me. Hemp, I believe which is the male derivative of the plant, marijuana, hemp was a Schedule 1 narcotic which is heroin, LSD, ecstasy, and magic mushrooms are in those same categories. I'm going to say that again. Heroin, LSD, ecstasy, and magic mushrooms are a Schedule 1 narcotic. Hemp was just declassified as a Schedule 1 narcotic three months ago. Now keep in mind hemp was used uh, I believe until, until it was GE or another company in the early 1900s basically wanted to use fiber instead of hemp and they used propaganda in the government to criminalize hemp and marijuana so that they could replace those industries that built rope and many other things with fiber. So keep that in mind. People have been criminalized, made into criminals for the buck of corporations and prisons. The fact that hemp was a schedule one narcotic until three months ago is kind of crazy. I mean, that literally is almost unbelievable to me. I, I have a hard time comprehending that truth. That the same government that I should believe about the, quote, facts about marijuana had hemp as a Schedule 1 narcotic. Not, not a Schedule 1 narcotic until the 80s. A Schedule 1 narcotic till 2018. I want you to think about everything the government has ever told you about marijuana and drugs in particular and stop believing them over the Word of God and stop enslaving people over this stuff. Seriously. As a Christian, we should openly repent. We should openly tell people, I do not support the drug war. I do not support modern slavery. That is what the drug war is. It is modern slavery. And I'm going to get on to prove that. And we talked about incarceration. Does marijuana kill brain cells? Here's another one. And so we're going to talk about the myths that the government has created. When you ask people... What's the problem with marijuana? You can go up to strangers on the street. Tell me what you've been told is wrong with marijuana. What's the first thing they're going to tell you? One of two things. It's a gateway drug and it kills brain cells. Now, I don't know how people in 2018 still believe that marijuana kills brain cells and that it's a gateway drug, but I now know why. I didn't, but now I know. And no, it does not kill brain cells. Just going to let everybody know. Uh, it doesn't kill brain cells. That was a government study that was paid for and specifically altered to render one specific outcome that was needed to already verify the facts that were already being spouted by the federal government. And I'm going to tell you what that study was. The government experts, I'm reading from MIT.edu. So this is a, uh, um, It's it's they, they basically are... Um, breaking down the the facts of some of the things that we've been told about the government. Here's what MIT.edu says. Government experts now admit that pot doesn't kill brain cells. This myth came from a handful of animal experiments in which structural changes, not actual cell death, as is often alleged, uh, structural changes were observed in brain cells of animals exposed to high doses of pot. Many critics still cite the notorious monkey studies of Dr. Robert G. Heath, which purported to find brain damage in three monkeys that had been heavily dosed with cannabis. This work was never replicated and has since been discredited by a pair of better-controlled, much larger monkey studies, one by Dr. William Slicker of the National Center for Toxicology Research and the other by Charles Rebert, and Gordon Pryor of SRI International. Neither found any evidence of physical altercation in the, brain, in the brains of monkeys exposed to daily doses of pot for up to a year. And human studies of heavy users in Jamaica and Costa Rica found no evidence of abnormal abnormalities in brain physiology. So, so keep that in mind. And basically what Robert Heath did and i've looked up his study and it is a diabolical study it's how you it's how you game a study it's how you make sure you get certain results that you've been told to 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 apprehend here's what robert heath did when he knew he had to he had to prove that marijuana kills brain cells what he did was he would take these monkeys he would put a mask over their face so they couldn't have any access to any clean air They'd put a mask over his face, and then for hours upon hours, he would feed anywhere from 30 to 50 marijuana joints per monkey into the monkey for hours. Now, I'm going to ask my listeners here at the gate, what do you do if you, what happens if you only breathe in smoke and you never breathe in clean air? What happens? Carbon dioxide poisoning. You start dying from suffocation. You don't have enough oxygen, so you begin to suffocate. Does anyone know what suffocation does to the brain? It begins to structurally change it. It begins to actually kill it. So what Robert Heath did was he took, he took the idea of of marijuana needs to kill brain cells, and then he literally only allowed monkeys to breathe smoke for hours on end, and then he said, that's what marijuana does to your brain. And not only, did they, not only did they publish these works, they put them into our textbooks at schools. This is the junk science that humanists and socialists create, not in order to give us the truth, but in order to ma- manipulate us so that we go along with the lie. So that we believe a lie instead of the truth. I rebuke you in the name of Christ. Repent. This is wicked stuff. This is stuff I believed. This was so ang this was so angers me. This is stuff that I believed. How many lives have been ruined? Here's another thing. Another fact is that marijuana has been shown scientifically to not impair motor functions and cognitive thinking. So this is another thing that you smoke weed, you just you just stupid, it makes you dumb. So that's not true. Marijuana does the opposite of what alcohol does. It enhances self-awareness as well as motor functions and cognitive thinking. Yes, you can get the giggles and the munchies and red eyes. It's true. But alcohol, not marijuana, is what impairs judgment. The second you begin consuming it, alcohol could take hours to wear off when you consume alcohol especially in large amounts it might not take it might take 6 hours because we know that the body takes about an hour to 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 um to digest a beer but most people drink 2 or 3 beers per hour and if you're drinking 6 9 beers in the span of 3 hours you you there's no way you can go back once you're like, oh no, I've had too much to drink, it's too late. Because if you've had more than two or three beers in one hour, it's going to take another 30 minutes before, you, before your body is done digesting what you've even consumed. And this impairs your judgment. And the scientific fact is that alcohol causes brain damage. Alcohol has been proven scientifically to cause brain damage. Yet that is legal... And that's made by man, whereas marijuana is a plant that grows out of the ground and we've criminalized it. And we say that it kills brain cells, which it doesn't, and that it impairs judgment, which it doesn't. The guilt that many people feel when they smoke marijuana is actually a heightened self-awareness that most people are not ready to deal with. This is why people... Uh, when they smoke marijuana, studies have also been shown internationally that people are way more cautious when they're driving or when they're operating a motor vehicle when they've been smoking marijuana. The opposite is true with alcohol. You become less aware. You become less. Your motor functions go slower. Your cognitive thinking, in many cases, goes out the window. And marijuana can wear off in 30, 45 minutes. Now, I'm not telling you there aren't any effects from marijuana. That's not what I'm telling you here. I'm simply telling you that everything you've ever been taught is a lie from the government, especially if you learned it from the government, especially. If it's a government study, if it's a government study, don't believe it. It's pretty simple because the government, the DEA, has a specific initiative to not allow any beneficial studies to come to the surface about any drug that it is currently seeking to criminalize. So Christians, do you realize how many families have been irrevocably destroyed because mom and dad was pulled pulled over with 3 grams 3 grams of marijuana by a police officer who was only as I said quote doing his job? You know how many families have been destroyed? Because we've criminalized people. That's what we've done. We've criminalized a nonviolent crime. Do you realize how many families become completely dependent upon state welfare because there is no financial stability in the home after the breadwinner is taken? Now, keep this in mind. Conservatives will tell us that they hate social welfare, yet, they cheer for the systems that systematically create gener- generational welfare. They love the systems that create the generational welfare. They've systematized them. And see, what's funny, and actually it's not funny, it's extremely sad. When we talk about the sins of our fathers, and I've discussed this before, and I've even written for American Vision on this issue, when we talk about the sins of our fathers, I am not telling you that you're guilty for our fathers passing the drug war and not doing anything about it. That is the blame of our fathers. You know what your responsibility is, Christian? When when your fathers and your mothers sin in the previous generation and and erect statues and monuments in the high places? You want to know what your responsibility is? To destroy them. To bring them crashing down. And to rend your clothes and to weep before God Almighty and say, My parents' sin will not stand in my eyes. I will not put up with it. I am not guilty for those crimes, but I will be guilty if I do nothing about it. I will inherit the the crimes of my father. I will inherit the crimes of my mother, not because of my biology, but because of my philosophy. That is how the sins of the mothers and fathers are visited upon their children. And you, if you will not repent, will create worse laws and you will compound the sin. You will compound the legacy of sin. That's what I call this, a legacy of sin. You'll compound them and you'll make worse laws and you'll force your children. It's just like debt. You're kicking the can down the road. You're indebting your children for sins they haven't committed, and you're forcing them to deal with sins that you won't even admit to, that you won't even uh, uh, tackle. Because the because we love the previous generation, we don't want to think our parents ever did a thing wrong, and we're a nation full of cowards, and we've enslaved prior generations because we refuse to to deal with our with the prior generation's sin. I'm not happy about it. I'm 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 done making excuses. I'm done fiddle farting with all the tra- tribalism. The conservative, are you conservative or are you liberal? You you ain't going to like me because you can't put me in a box. I won't last in a pulpit. Because most Christians don't want men like me in a pulpit. They don't want this in a pulpit. They don't want God's truth in the pulpit. They don't want their precious tribalism and their precious politics that they view are that they've told themselves are neutral and they know they're not neutral they just don't want God touching that area that's their golden idol i won't bow before your golden idol my my plan is for you for that idol to be destroyed that you're bowing to it is quite ironic that conservatives who merely claim because that's all it is is a claim in my opinion that they hate the socialist welfare state are the biggest creators of generational family welfare via policy implementation they are too blinded by their political allegiances to care or even attempt to understand what they've done those who support the dro- the war on drugs are just as much enemies to the family as those who practice homosexuality you're just as much a family destroyer as the homosexuals you're no different while you sit on your high horse and you, and you stare down, you point down at the minorities and you tell them to pull themselves up by their bootstrap even though you implemented the laws that enslaved their father and you cheer for the generational sins of your fathers as they've crushed minorities in our community and in, and in our nation. And yet you turn around and and you tell the homosexuals they're destroying the, the the family. Well, they only learned it from you, conservatives. No one can destroy the family systematically like the drug war has done. No one, no one. What homosexuals are like? Less than two percent of the population, maybe less than one percent. You want to know what the percentage of probably the population that's being enslaved by drugs? How many mothers weep? How many children weep? How many, how many mothers have to go in shame to the welfare office because their fathers were taken from them? Or husbands were taken from them? How many children have been forced to hate their parents? How many children have been propagated by the state and by even their own families that your father's a lowlife? Not because he didn't leave you, not because he didn't care about you, but because the government stole him. And somehow that makes him a lowlife. He owes a debt to society. Society owes a debt to everyone who's ever been enslaved on the drug war. And you could take me to the bank on that one. And keep in mind that you will get a higher sentence in America for possessing marijuana than rapists get for a rape conviction. Don't believe me? Look it up. You will get more time in prison from smoking marijuana and possessing it than someone who goes and rapes another woman. Google how many rape kits in your local city have, been, have gone on uninvestigated. Google that. It's like 60% here in Houston. 60% of rape kits. Not even allegations. Literal physical evidence of rape have gone 60% uninvestigated. And that is purposeful. Because the because the conservatives in America, along with the liberals, have told the police they don't care about violent crime. They care about societal nonviolent crime. They want to plan society, planning society. To conservatives and liberals is way more important than actually investigating and protecting widows, who have literally been raped. Like if 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 sixty percent of rape kits went uninvestigated in a sane world. There will be riots. And yet the men, uh, the Christian men will tell you that women are not oppressed. They'll treat they'll, they'll, they'll tell you, they'll tell you that it's, that it's just as bad that women are making up false allegations against us. It's that's just as bad as all the rape kits that have gone uninvestigated. You are a flat liar. You're a liar. I'm heated today. I'm heated today. Because it's keeping me from crying, to be honest with you. It's keeping me from weeping right now. That we, that we sentence people for marijuana at a higher rate and with greater numbers and with greater penalties than rape itself. And you wonder why women don't want to come forward and 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 uh, accuse accuse their abusers of molestation or rape. This also helps to explain why every local police department is buying military grade weaponry. This is it. This is why we have military grade weaponry. Hand over fist from our Pentagon is what they're where they're buying it. Every single department. I don't know of a department in the United States that is not buying military-grade weaponry to wage war against the American people. And you people still clap for these people. You people still cheer for the police department. I don't get it. I I, I can't fathom it anymore. It is Orwellian-level brainwashing. And it is only by God's grace that I can see it. Thank you, Lord. It is literally God's grace that I can see it. I pray to the Lord that you open your eyes. Why do our officers look indistinguishable from military soldiers in a foreign nation who we are at war with? Why can we barely make a difference between a police officer and a Marine? We'll just ask this question. Who are the police at war with in our nation? They're at war with somebody. If they, if they buy military-grade weaponry, they're walking around with military-grade uh, w- military guns, they've got military-grade vehicles, they've got military-grade everything, who are they at war with? Where's the combat zone? American citizen, they're at war with you. I don't need them to tell me. I I, I want to see their budget. How many, how many how many how many weapons have you bought from the Pentagon this year? Oh well, the police unions will tell you they can't. We can't show you that. We don't want to tell. We don't want to show you our internal, our internal, you know, workings. Of course you don't. The police department and the police unions are some of the most secretive agencies in the United States, and yet they are the most supported. I don't buy the lie that they keep law and order. I actually believe that they enforce, that they enforce chaos, and that they bring death. Most of them. Keep in mind that at any point in the nation, there are anywhere, like I was saying, from forty to sixty percent of rape allegations and rape kits that go completely uninvestigated. Now, almost the entire police force and their manpower is used to patrol minority communities that are considered quote-unquote crime communities where we steal mothers and fathers and children for marijuana while their aunt has waited seven years to have her rape kit investigated so that she can only get a four-year conviction against her rapist as her brother serves 15 years for a plant. I'm trying not to scream right now to be honest. And keep in mind the communities have been made to be labeled as crime communities merely because we created crimes out of thin air and then we labeled black and minorities as the main criminals in those activities. Well Carrie, of course, of course, there's more trafficking in, in uh, minority communities. They're highly violent. No, no, actually, what ends up showing is that you can't get a cop to show up in Chicago when there's a shootout. You can't get him to show up when someone's been raped. You can't get him to show up whenever someone's been mortally wounded. But if someone don't have a permit for a hot dog stand, he will be there in two minutes. Here's some more to digest. The U.S. Department of Health released a study in 2011 that surveys the percentages of how many blacks consume illegal drugs compared to whites in America. So this is from the U.S. Department of Health. Blacks consume drugs at 10%, while whites consume at 8%, just a little bit lower. Quote, I would agree that whites make up 70, this is from me in American Vision, I, I, this is from my article I wrote at American Vision. I would agree that because whites make up 72.4% of the American population and blacks only make up 126 so think about that, whites are 72%, blacks are 12%. Whites should make up vastly more of the prison population among those charged with drug-related crimes. Sadly, it is not even close. The Drug Policy Alliance reports this, that nearly 80% of the people in federal prison and almost 60% of people in state prison for drug offenses are black or Latino. Are you serious? Are you serious? According to the Census Bureau, out of 100,000 drug-related arrests from each race, only 332 of them are white, and 879 of them are black. Whoa! That means that for every 100,000 whites, only 332 are arrested on drug-related charges, while out of 800 or while out of 100,000 blacks. 879 are arrested for the same crimes, and they make up only 13% of the population. You want to tell me racism isn't real? You want, I mean, God's judgment is here. It's coming. It's here. I am scared. We have moved, we have moved Chattel slavery from the 17 and 1800s into the modern era, and people don't even know that it's slavery. They call it mass incarceration, and even the 13th Amendment calls it slavery. Where are the pulpits? Where are the pastors? Where are the Christians? Where are your voices for the weak and the oppressed and those we have grinded into the pavement for generations we're not talking about something that happened five years ago we are talking for hundreds of years constantly targeting minority specifically the black community and enslaving them under every pretense possible and we call it law and order People are going to hell in droves wearing their badges. I mean, people are, are bur- going to burst the seams of hell with, with their, I'm just doing my job. They will well in eternity as they say, I was just doing my job. Are you scared, Christian? Does the fear of God have no hold on you? Your laws are an abomination before my God. Blacks also receive harsher sentencing. Not only are they making up 13% of the total population and 80% of them are holding up the federal prisons for drug-related crimes, but they get 13% of higher prison and jail sentences than their white counterparts. Can anyone hear me? Do you have ears to hear? Do you have eyes to see? Does your heart not break? As you say, the black community has no fathers, as you cheer for the very thing that creates fathers into criminals. And you wonder why the Black Panthers exist. You wonder why communities sometimes riot. Because they have no recourse. Because even the whites who created this generations ago, their children are telling them to pull themselves up by their bootstraps, as every corner looks like a looks like a gulag, as as police literally comb through their their neighborhoods looking for blacks to to arrest. Don't tell me it's not real. This is reality. This is the quote Christian America. Marijuana arrests have gone up from last year, so it's going to get crazier. I mean, it gets crazier. Marijuana arrests have gone up from last year as well in our nation because the police departments and district attorney's offices know that their cash cow via the drug war is vastly and quickly drying up and massive layoffs and job and unemployment will go down for the police unions. Keep in mind that as states legalize, cops are going to be losing their jobs. This is what happens when there is no crime. When we say, hey, wait a minute, all the things we thought were crimes aren't really crimes. They're just job programs for people who don't have resourceful skills that actually have value in the free market, known as police officers, known as jailers, known as uh, district attorneys. This is the, uh, the drug war is a giant subsidy for police officers who have no skills to offer. Now, I'm not telling you we don't need security. I'm not telling you we don't need people who, um, who are actually privatized that we can call when something happens, when something violent is happening. But police officers, they do not prevent crime. Officers do not prevent crime. And I've talked about this, that they're not iron men. Whenever someone kicks in your door, they don't drop from the sky the second you hit nine one one. You got about twenty minutes. If you're lucky, if you're lucky they'll show up in twenty minutes. Now all these jobs and all these layoffs are gonna go down until they can figure out something else to make illegal so that they can continue to create criminals out of thin air. So the arrests are going up, guys. Here's where it's crazy. The increase, this is from Forbes magazine. Here's what Forbes says The increase in marijuana arrests in 600, this was 659,700 in 2017. So 659,000 in 2017 compared to 653,000 in 2016 is driven by enforcement against peer, people merely possessing. The drug as opposed to selling it and growing and growing it. So so what we're finding out now is people will tell me, Carrie, no, 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 Carrie, you got it wrong. All of those people who are in jail and are in federal prison, they're they are the drug traffickers. Those are the people who traffic it over borders, and those are the people in your local communities who are the drug dealers. Those we want the big fish. That's the argument. The big fish argument, right? Well, guess what? The numbers are up. From 2016 to 2017, and the numbers are up because they are arresting people who are the smallest fish in the world. Mom, or dad, or brother, or sister, or cousin, or aunt, or grandpa, or grandma, who are trying to drive from point A to point B with a little bitty sack in their back pocket and they get pulled over. That's the process. Last year, last year, there were 599,000 marijuana possession arrests in in the country, up from 587,000 in 2016. Meanwhile, busts for cannabis sales and manufacturing dropped from 65,000 to 60,000. Forbes magazine is citing an FBI, this is FBI data. This means that states in which it is still illegal to possess marijuana are making up an arrest for the four other states that it has become legal otherwise. Think about that. Think about what I just told you, that between 2016 and 2017, between those two years, four states legalized marijuana so you can't arrest small possession on, in those four states. Then you come into twenty seventeen and all the states who still have illegal uh, laws at their state level, they have radically rat- ranched up or rack or you know, are amped up the arrests because they know it's coming. They've done it so much that they outdid how many arrests there were federally and nationally when there were more states enforcing it. How desperate are the police departments becoming? And you know that they are making harsher and stricter policing policies. You know that that's why this is this way. You know why there's a big difference between 2016 and 2017 is because they are making policing, they are making policies different, knowing, hey guys, we got to get out there. We got to squeeze this one until it's made legal. We got to get these guys in, get them processed, get them in the cage. This is how we make money. It's a cash cow. So ask yourself, are these good cops? Are these good departments who do this? Are people who do this stuff and enforce these laws, are these good people? Even when they double down and know their time is running out, so it would be one thing if you see other states legalizing. You're like, "Hey guys, we should like we should not enforce this law," because you like in Texas it's illegal, but like over on the other side in Colorado, you don't get locked in a cage. Maybe maybe this isn't morally right. No, 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 no. They do the opposite. They say, "Guys, we got to get out there and harass everyone," even when they so so. So even when they double down and they know their time is running short to make off money of citizens, are these good people? No. Are these departments run by good people? No. Your local police union is your worst enemy as it pertains to you as a free citizen. The police unions are doing everything in their and they're as humanly possible to make sure no drug is ever made legal and, if anything, to create more crimes. Go look at your local police department's union website. You won't find the protect and serve motto. You won't find that. You will find a we want to be safe and get home at night motto. That's what the police, mo- police union motto is. Now, your department may, may say to protect and serve, but when you get an application and you get a job with the local police department, you are forced into the union, and then you have a new motto. I want to be safe and get home. That's my motto. My motto is to do my job and hang up my belt at night. It ain't got nothing to do with protecting, and it ain't got nothing to do with serving. I'm going to get mine. That's what the motto is for police unions. Departments and agencies will always preserve themselves. Remember that. Agents, selves, because they need a paycheck and, and a pension at the expense of free citizens in order to maintain job security. Job security will run dry the second the drug war ends. At your expense... Live at your expense. You, I'm not. I'm not. That no more. So drug movement, a direct punishment. Civil rights movement. Stop them from being protected. It would make their entire race and community quote a dangerous, crime-ridden place that needed to be policed and brought to hell. Do you see it, Christian? Do you? See it? Has God removed the veil? Has He chiseled it yet? Do you care about the weeping generational procreation? I haven't said a thing. I'm, 30, I'm almost 33 years old. At the end of this month I'll be 30, I said it. I haven't hardly said it. not enough. And now I want every injustice I find I it until wave and I think guy's dead and he's not talking no more. Where are the f- we still have some of them? lion's commands currently at war with minority communities. You see, Christians are just as lazy in our culture as the socialists. See, Christians don't want to go into the black community if they see a drug problem and go in with the gospel and help create pain. They don't want to do that because they're lucky and they think that that, that they're just, they're, that's a crime-ridden or a black community. It's full of a bunch of rebels. We don't know put, put in sales. That's the way the white, that's the way the Christian, no, there's no, there's no ambiguity as to why there aren't deeply ingrained black and white churches. You hardly ever see it. In fact, one of the only churches I have ever seen with my own eyes that has as many black people in it as white people is at Joel Olstein's church. I've been to a lot of churches. I live in the South. Blacks don't, they, they, they don't want anything to do with white churches. And whites don't want anything to do with black churches. Because blacks were told that all the white community ever wanted to do with them was have interracial worship. That that was the victory for the Christian. That was the victory for men like John MacArthur. Was oh, all black people really want is to come and sit next to white people. That's all. That's all black people ever had a problem with. And then they, they had inter-ra- inter, interracial worship, and then they, uh, they continued to say that the drug war was cool. They continued, whenever little Susie walked up to the pastor uh, uh, as, as, a, as an African American, and And the pastor gets down on his on a squats down and says, "Hi, little Susie. Thanks for coming to our interracial worship. I'm so glad us white and blacks can worship together. Where's your daddy Oh uh he was uh he was taken and put in a cage because he smoked marijuana. Oh well, well, it's little Susie. We have a ministry, a prison ministry for people like that. He needs the gospel. We need to go in and share the gospel with him because uh, because that's, that's, what, that's what God has called us to do here on this earth. And you know what most black people did? They said, we are getting the heck out of this place. These people don't even live in reality. They think that we just wanted to drink at the same water fountains, and we didn't want to have to walk into the back of the restaurant. That's all they ever thought we wanted. And we're in the midst of an opiate crisis. Not a marijuana crisis. We are in the midst of an opiate crisis. And that's the drug of choice for largely white middle class and upper class people is a pill. The opiate crisis is the majority crisis. That's why it's a crisis because most of the white people are doing the pill. And that's why the nation is actively trying to reform those aspects of, of the opiate crisis, and and create more uh, uh, programs to help people reform and lessen prison sentences and uh, and all these other things for one of the most deadly kind of narcotics alive. That is an actual Schedule One narcotic and really bad for you. But they're going to lessen the sentencing on those things. But oh man, that that hemp. If I catch you smoking that hemp, that's a Schedule One narcotic. CBD oil was just just taken off the Schedule One narcotic this week. CBD oil was a Schedule One narcotic. I don't even I don't even try I don't even try to make sense of it anymore. There's no making sense of it. we li- we live in a hellscape that's been created by socialists, conservatives, and liberals alike. And it's blatantly abusive. These classifications, they're just blatantly abusive. They're evil. The, this is systematic man-stealing, which is condemned as a capital offense in the law of God according to Exodus 21.16. Look it up. This is man-stealing. Once again, you cannot make up your own man-made standard as to what constitutes man-stealing and enslavement, apart from God's Word. If you take a man, you put him in a cage, and you shut the door, and he has no freedom to leave, you had better have a godly, biblical law backing you up, or you are in trouble with the creator of the universe. And what does God prescribe is the basis of, For determining, determining, or enslaving a man. I'm not going to give you all your answers here. You need to get into the book, take up and read. You need to be a Berean. I can't give you all the answers. And I'm not being mean. I'm shooting with you straight. I can't do all the heavy lifting for you. This is not a celebrity pastor. You're not going to sit here and watch me do all the work. You have to take up and read. The penalty, according to God's law, for man-stealing is death. And I'm going to end my episode with this. Acts 2, 22-23. Quote, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. That's talking about Jesus Christ. But I want you to listen to this. Peter says that they crucified him and that they killed him by the hands of the lawless Roman soldiers who they cheered to do it. You, American, you, Christian, have delivered your enemies over to lawless men. First of all, shame on you for viewing other people as enemies for, the, for a plant that they smoke. Instead of looking at them and praying for them and going to them with the gospel of Jesus Christ when they've committed no violent crime, and you are guilty for delivering them over to lawless men. And if you're one of these lawless men who enforces the drug war, the fire of hell burns hot. And if you are one of the men who has delivered your brother or your sister or your neighbor over to, over to lawless men, hell burns hot. May God forgive his people. Brothers, press into the kingdom. Expose darkness. Seek the righteousness of Christ and everything will be accounted to you. And for everyone who has lost a brother, a mother, a sister, a father, a cousin, a aunt, a grandfather, a grandmother to the drug war, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry for what happened to you. And for everything that could have been, that has been lost because of it. But God is the healer. He is the king. And it is not over yet. May God bless you. May his face shine upon you. May he grant his people repentance. God bless.
0: Thank you for listening to Man at the Gate. Go forward, Christian, and apply your ethics to all areas of life. Begin to discern the world around you. God bless.